Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. With us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Yes, yes. Also with us, Jed Brewer. Yes, yes. Join us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I managed to not give something, uh, do something for which Glenn was immediately had to make fun of. And that's really quite something. An accomplishment yeah. in and of itself, to be sure. We have a wonderful show. We have some more great of some more of your great questions. We're gonna have a lot of fun. But first, I must declare, uh, even we didn't know they would sink this low emergency. <laughs> An emergency? It really, really is. Uh, this emergency starts with a press release by a new Christian dating app. Oh boy! Hmm. Which if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we we are all in favor of of your Christian mingles and your match.coms and your, even your tenders and your bumbles and your coffee meets bagel, which I know is a real thing, but still sounds made up every time someone mentions it to me. Uh, all sorts of your, your online dating accoutrement. Uh, we all know people who have met and gone on to have wonderful relationships, even marriages based on every single one. There's a new one from the match group, which owns a bunch of them, as you may have guessed. A Christian-focused, Gen Z-focused dating app called Upward. Ooh. And uh, you can check out Upward Dating on uh, your Instagram, your Twitter, your TikTok, if you're so inclined. At Date Upward on all those. And uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many of these posts I had to scroll through before I was comfortable bringing this emergency because I was sure that this wasn't a parody making fun <laughs> of what a millennial based Christian dating app would be. I'm on their Instagram page right now. I'm going to read you the entirety of their bio upward dating, dating service, Christian dating cross emoji equals heart emoji. Download now down arrow. They boiled it down to Christian dating. Cross emoji equals green heart emoji. <laughs> so that's where we're at. But so all of this so far yeah. is, you know, is about what you'd expect. It's a little goofy, but you got to market things. It's, you know, it's whatever. But then we come to this press release. And this is where things get truly, truly weird. We're going to have a, a marketing, uh, breakthrough here and it says as such upward has collaborated with notable pastors from across the country to produce exclusive sermons on hot button subject matters that gen gen z and millennial christians face in today's world kicking off the sermon series upward teamed up with well-respected well-respected multi-site church pastor craig gracial founder and senior pastor of life.church i think that's what it's called the period is in there Life.Church to share his views on hashtag relationship goals. Through this sermon, Gracial addresses the relevant topic of dating apps through a Christian lens and whether or not Christ would approve of young Christians utilizing modern-day platforms to find love. They spawn-conned sermons. In some way, it was only a matter of time. We've all seen, you know, be it a YouTuber, uh, an Instagram person, somebody on social media saying, and I wouldn't be able to do whatever this thing you're actually watching this channel for if it weren't for the people who make this energy drink. I love it. And it gives me the energy to do the thing you're watching. Now (laughs) that you didn't skip this because you didn't know it was an ad, back to the video. A, a, a well-true technique called sponsored content. But we now have bespoke sermons about your app. Let's, listen, I have a hashtag response dot sarcasm to, uh, to give to this. Because uh, you know what, what it is, people, is like you read your Bible and it says you should provide meaningful, personal, face-to-face spiritual care for people, and that those people would provide you with the resources to, you know, pay your bills, 
and continue to give them spiritual care. That, that's what's in the Bible. But we've moved past that, people. We yeah. have figured out a way to, uh, like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen NASCAR, where they have the jackets and there's, like, patches everywhere. <laughs> okay? Yeah. We came up with this idea first. We put Pastor up there. You know, he's got, you know, the patches. You know, it says Coca-Cola on there and whatever. And, you know. Yeah, no, I think we it's well-worn territory to do a more traditional um, area sponsorship. A nice, you know, Wonder Bread and whatnot on the, right on the, yeah. uh, the, the very chic button down there. I think that's a way to go. <laughs> this opens up a whole new opportunity here because not only is this... Um, you know, sponsored content and the this way we're talking about of kind of a a endorsement deal, but also they just got people to give sermons about their thing. Yeah, there's also a bit of a strange on demand. We kind of joked in the last uh episode about having a Patreon tier where you could just tell Pastor what to say. And once again, our ability to make a joke that is more insane right. than a real thing happening in the Christian media world uh, fails us. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I don't think a lot of the listeners maybe understand that we we batch record the show. We record a couple episodes at a time, and you know, you know, Jed pitched that idea in the last episode. We're we're a scant hour and twenty minutes past the moment where he said that out loud and now we already have the internet has already provided this gentlemen i think i have the thing that we've been waiting for i present to you sinners in the hands of an angry god brought to you by mountain dew game fuel you hang (laughs) by naught but a gossamer thread and that kind of extreme sport needs energy the kind of energy you'll find a new mountain dew amp energy yeah. yeah, incredible. To go to Jonathan Edwards for Mountain Dew is an inspired choice. Thank you. Because a lesser mind would have taken the real Mountain Dew energy and gone with a real kind of charismatic snake handler kind of. But you see that that would get lost in the content, uh, just kind of ether. You have to have something yeah. that stands out. Yeah, and a very prim New England Puritan slamming some Mountain Dew gamer fuel. Yes, yeah, it's an image that sticks with people. <laughs> Listen, this podcast is a lot of hard work, and I'll tell you what gets me through it. It's Brock's <laughs> candy corn candy. That's right. <laughs> it gives you energy. It makes your brain sizzle. Now, this does bring up several interesting uh, possibilities, one of which is certainly um, a micro-targeted version of this. Maybe you go to a, a local, you know, 250, 300 membership church and you say, Pastor, I'd really think everyone would enjoy a word about how, you know, growing and, you know, the free gift of salvation is a great deal. Much like the great deals you get at Lane Prattley Cadillac Hyundai. Lane Prattley <laughs> Cadillac Hyundai. It's not heaven, but it's close. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea of, uh, one of these, you know, uh, multi-site pastors that everybody thinks is truly wonderful, uh, getting like multiple deals. So like he's got different contracts running at the same time. And like one week he's advertising this app and the next week he's advertising like the competitor. Oh app, yeah. And they just kind of keep trying to outbid, you know, for, for like, what is pastor going to say next? I like that kind of, well, we, we pitched in the last segment kind of in the last episode, kind of a, a Patreon style version of this. And I think being that we're targeting Gen Z here, we could move to something a little more timely and look with a, a Twitch model. Okay. Yeah. Um, As I don't, I'm not a video game person, so I don't really understand Twitch too, too much, but I know that you can like in real time, pay money in the form of like, I think they're called bits and like, you can either trigger sound effects or the person will say something. They'll be like, Oh, I have, you know, this, this whiteboard behind me and I'll write your name on it. If you pay X amount 
And I think that would really liven up a nice Sunday sermon. I like it. I like it. Just kind of, if somebody drops $20 yep. in the plate, then, you know, it'll trigger, you know, the pastor has to sing or stop singing, whatever your preference would be, or, you know, this specific antidote. These are all, all ideas that I think would maybe work, maybe not, but it would really add some spice. We could also really, really do some nice additions to the, uh, the dais at church. You know, there's mm. a lot of space there. It doesn't have any ads on it. And I'm just yeah. saying, you know, if you look, if you watch a lot of sports, if you, you know, go to the movies, they cram it. It all seems like wasted space to me. I could be learning about Duracell based on the kind of rotating LED panel ads behind pastor that kind of switch in between songs. Yeah. So that the, the yeah. color pattern stays the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just looking at monetization streams here, and that's really the name of the game, I think. Well, Matt, it's a Reformed church where we believe in the perseverance of the saints, that the saints keep on going. You know what else keeps going? The hard-charging power of Doracell batteries. Yes. That's exactly right. You know, we, we have a reading from the book of Corinthians, much like the rich Corinthian leather. You'll find the new <laughs> Lexus G40. <laughs> First Baptist brought to you by Menin. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very good. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Once the dam is broken, we might as well go there because at least nothing we mention is more cringy or insane than giving a sermon based on an app that you may or may not be an investor in. It's hard for us to know on oh. hashtag relationship goals. <laughs> Matt, if I may. How great are our deals? Come sing with me. How great are our deals? <laughs> and oh, on that note, I was going to say that high note, but it could be a low note. It's so hard to tell at this point, but it's certainly one worth noting. And we're going to declare emergency off. Oh, there's a lot going on there. Uh, we can guarantee you that we don't have any sponsors for the Bridgecast because no one has returned our calls. <laughs> we called Rolex. We called Swarovski. We called yeah. Bentley. We're aiming high. We're going to work down the list and eventually get to someone who might get us back. But for now, it's an entirely independent production over there at facebook.com slash Chicago where you can join us for a new episode every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, every episode archived in the videos tab at our same Facebook page. And we do hope, if you can't join us on Tuesday night in the city of Chicago, that you'll join us on Sunday night for the Bridgecast. We also hope you will check out missionusa.com slash bridgebox, where you can sign up for Bridgebox, get some great stuff, sermons, Bible studies, songs, and more in your inbox the first of every month, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We are going to jump to our first question here. If you can have us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, I've tried to take my walk with the Lord seriously. When I read the Bible or pray, I find myself losing focus. I have ADHD, but I don't want that to be an excuse for not taking my spiritual life seriously. I am also really hard on myself about this. What should I do when I struggle to focus? on what is important. And an excellent, excellent question. And Jed, where would we kick this off? I love this question. And I'm really, really glad that you wrote in. Um, and I appreciate your heart, man. Um, I, I appreciate that you're you're trying to follow the Lord and, and figure out what works for you. And I think that's awesome. And I, I think we need to acknowledge that, particularly if you're either in America or if you're around an, an American version of Christianity, you know, somewhere else in the world, you are often presented with, this is how your faith life should work. This is what it's supposed to be. And if you can't do that, well, then you're really not doing it right. And you may not really be doing it at all. And I want us to start by uh, noting, I want us to start by noting that there is not one right way to live out your faith life. There is not yeah. one right way to live out your relationship with God. There's not one right way to live out your, your heart for the Lord. But I know those pressures can really wear on us. You know, when, when I particularly, man, when I was like a teenager and, and in college and whatnot, just my natural rhythm was I would be up to the middle of the night every night. That's just how my, my brain and my body worked. And there was this 
odd pressure, at least at the time, church stuff of like, you know, if you're not having devotions at six in the morning every morning, are you even spending time with God? And <laughs> there was the sense of like, people who get up earlier in the morning and read their Bible are morally superior to you. <laughs> it says his mercies are made new every morning, Jed, not every <laughs> mid-afternoon. <laughs> and we just, we want to take as much pressure off of ourselves as we possibly can. Man, it's a hard time to be alive. It's a hard time to be trying to to live any kind of life of faith. It's a hard time to be trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus in a really, um, a world going through a lot of stuff. And so we want to take off as much pressure as we can, and that includes other people's expectations of what your life of faith is supposed to look like. So with that in mind, let's talk about you specifically for a second. The first thing is you say that you have ADHD. Um, of course, it's worth noting that that is a, a technical medical diagnosis. And so one question is, are you working with your physician uh, in regards to your ADHD? Um, that we, One of the things that we want to be crystal clear on here on the Say That Podcast is we are pro-modern medicine. Modern medicine yes. is a great thing. And so uh, we want to encourage you to, to work with, with your physician, work with your doctor. Medicine, it's not just leeches anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the reasons why we want to encourage you to do that is that may give you some insights into things that are likely to work really well for you. Um, that that might be a, a cool takeaway. But then that's going to lead to are we trying things? So, you know, one example is – and Lee's brought this up before. It's a great idea – is using an audio Bible and going for a walk. Um, and just, you know, being out and about and experiencing God's Word that way, it's a great thing to try. But I think that you should come up with a list of about a dozen things that you want to try. And some of them may work pretty well. Some of them may not work at all. Some of them may work kind of, sort of. But all of them, I think, are going to give you some ideas of how you can tweak things, how you can can dial things more and more into what works for you. The other thing I want to encourage you on is to remain in contact with the idea that this is a journey and we need to be kind to ourselves. Uh, this is not about there's this bar of like Christian lifestyle behavior and you just need to measure up to it and you need to do that as quickly as possible and then everything is good. Then it'll be okay. Now it's awful, but then it'll be okay. The truth is God loves you maximum strength right now today. You are as loved and accepted and celebrated by the Lord right now today as you ever will be. The goal of figuring out how to live more deeply into a life of faith in your own unique life is so you can have more peace and more joy and more connection. This is, but there's not like a thing where God's mad at you, you know, and, and, you know, running out of patience, just not like that. Be kind to yourself. Everybody's got to figure out what their walk with the Lord is going to look like. Um, there are no exceptions to that. And, and I, I do want to offer one more thing, because in a weird way, it ties back into our emergency. Some churches really criticize people for having a consumer mentality, and they're trying to find, you know, it's all about me, and I need stuff that works for me. Yeah, you do. You, you, <laughs> you do need stuff that works for you. And in a sense, your life of faith is all about you. That's, that's the point. Jesus came and died on a cross because he loves you. So this idea, churches, not all churches, obviously, but some churches will try and browbeat you into, you have to be on what we're on because it's not about you, it's about God. No, dude, you got to do what works for you. You got to figure out a way that you're able to connect with the Lord. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. We've got your back on that. We're cheering you on. Be kind to yourself and take it one day at a time. That is a fantastic, fantastic place to start that off. And Lee, where do we take things from there? I love uh, everything that Jed just said, and I, I love the phrase, be kind to yourself. One of the things that I, I want you to understand, and I, and I really hope that you buy in and believe us on this, is that the Lord is not hard on you. Um, yeah. He, he, he is not, you know, you, you will have uh, spiritual directors or pastors or teachers and stuff who, who may, you know, from time to time may give the feeling that, that God is demanding and he demands a lot. And the thing that you need to understand from Scripture is that just really doesn't hold up. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul says that, that Jesus has boundless patience. And we've talked about this on the show before, but you can just go look up the word from the Greek. It just has the word for boundary, and then it has the A in front of it, which negates the word. 
like in the word atypical or something like that. There is, in other words, there is no boundary to the patience of Jesus. There's just no fence. You'll never run into the place where he's like, that's it. I've had it. Um, Jesus is not hard on you. Um, Psalm 103 says that he remembers that we are dust. He knows that we are fragile. He knows that we are frail. He knows that that uh, that little things affect us in big ways. Um, sleep, sickness, diet, um, a, a weird, funky conversation at work. He understands all of those things. He's unbelievably understanding. And we have to start from there. The Lord isn't hard on you, so you should not be. You should go easy on you because he's going to be easy on you. Um, I, I would... You know, we need to start from that perspective, but I, I want to share another practical thing, which is you talk about being distracted in prayer, and I think that you know either somebody told you this or you have a, a, a feeling of this on your own that when you get distracted in your prayer life, that uh, you know you've done something bad, um, and uh, you, you kind of feel like a a sensation of like, well, I, I've got a slap on the wrist now because I shouldn't have done that. I need to be so kind of holy in my prayer life and so focused on the Lord and worshiping him or whatever that like, I, I don't, my mind does not wander and I'm not distracted from that. I would push back on that and say, no, you're a human being. You are going to have distracted thoughts. Um, what I would say is lean into those distractions and just present those to the Lord. If you're praying about something and you get distracted by all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm not really praying anymore. I'm thinking about this funky thing that happened at work. Just lean into that. Um, here's a little, uh, little helpful reminder. That thing that you're distracted by, that might be what you care about. Um, if you're preoccupied with some funky conversation with a coworker, that's the thing we might actually be, need to be praying about, not like working myself up to pray about, you know, the evangelization of the lost or something like that. Go ahead and talk to the Lord about the thing you're distracted by. You're distracted by some funny thing you watched in a show or, you know, or a, a, a video online or something like that. Talk to him about that. Literally just like whatever the distraction is, just include that into your conversation with the Lord. Some people might be listening to that thought and just feel like that is a really that that's funky for me. That's just kind of an irreverent thing. And the the pushback that I would have on that is he knows it all. He he's he's there for all of those kinds of movements in your thinking, in our conversations with our friends, in the way you spend your time. He is present for all of that stuff. And I think the heart of Jesus and if I think that our prayer life and all that stuff, I think we would relax a whole lot more if we remembered two things. One, he's easy on me. And two, he really just wants to keep the line open. That's really what he wants. Not like you have to pray perfectly about all the holiest things or whatever. I think he just wants to stay on the line. So if you get distracted, don't beat yourself up about that. Don't consider that a mistake. Rather, reroute the distraction into your conversation with the Lord. I'm thinking about this weird thing now, Lord. Uh, wasn't that crazy? Um, or, hey, I, I've got this, uh, apparently this is the thing I care about because I'm, I'm afraid about this conversation or whatever. So I'm going to bring that to you too. In other words, he's easy on you. He's patient. He understands the things you're going through. He mainly wants to keep you on the line. That is a really, really great place to take that. And Glenn, where would we close it out? Well, you know, I agree with these fellows. I, I think, uh, you know, first of all, you know, we recognize that it, it stinks to have big, hairy, ugly challenges to deal with in life. I think the, the, the only positive way to look at that, I suppose, is to recognize that most people have some sort of challenge. It may be obvious, it may not, but um, everyone does have their own challenges. And there's sort of no way to compare and say, this one's better, this one's worse, or this is more devastating or whatever. Um, so we don't want to get into that either. But I think it is worth recognizing that a lot of us have a struggle. Now, I'm going to talk about a completely different type of thing than ADHD, but it'll sort of work as an analogy, I think, here. Uh, there's a buddy of mine, and I, I won't mention his name to embarrass him, 
but this is a guy that I ministered beside for many years and, and got to see him in doing ministry or, uh, over a period of time and, and doing it very, very, very well. And this guy had dyslexia. It's, again, very different from ADHD, but uh, a, a completely separate deal. And when I say he had dyslexia, this was the most extreme form of this I have ever seen or heard of in my life. Uh, this is a guy who, if he sent you an email, it was a word salad. I mean, you couldn't make sense of what you were looking at. Um, that extreme. Uh, so, you know, he could not function with emails or social media at all, any of that. Uh, but I didn't even know this about him until he and I were preaching in the same speaking gig, and he had given him a verse uh, for them to put on the PowerPoint. And for some reason, they put the wrong translation on the screen. And he turned and looked at the screen as if he was reading it and gave the entire passage in a totally different version, a different translation altogether. And it was then that I realized he, he definitely wasn't reading it. He had had the whole thing memorized. It was all in his head, and he was kind of going through the motions so people wouldn't know. But the thing about this guy that I'm trying to tell you is when he would preach on the Bible, it was totally different. And here's why. is because he had to struggle to squeeze every single word out of that verse. Like he labored over every individual word. So he would, every word had meaning. Every word in that verse would pop for him. And he would have insight into how it would work in a way that I wouldn't, because I just sort of gloss over it and read it quickly. What I'm saying is, he took that challenge and turned it not only into a gift for him, but a gift for the rest of us. I think the other thing that we need to learn about that story is, and I'm dovetailing on exactly what Jed was saying there, it is important to have your own spiritual journey. It is important to find out what works for you. Uh, I think we we see a certain number of people that are doing stuff weird, and, and they're just doing that to get attention. They're not doing what works for them. They're just trying to get attention. If if what worked for you is listening to metal while you read your Bible, then listen to metal while you read your Bible. That's just what it takes. If it gets the job done, I can respect that. I can appreciate that. I think it. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it's beautiful in the sight of God. You and your your metal Bible reading and stuff. Uh, be a unique Christian. That's really important, and it's what we really want for you. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff from these guys. The one thing I would I would definitely circle back to to point out is <clears throat> where Jed started us off with um, ADHD is a medical condition. Um, if you've been diagnosed with that, that's not an excuse. That's a medical condition you have. If I break my ankle, um, I'm not using that as an excuse to not get in my 10,000 steps. I'm dealing with a condition that I have. There's a lot, a lot of ways to uh, to do all these things these guys are pointing out. But th- the first place we really have to start with, and this is something that Lee mentioned, is God's not mad at you. God's not going to give you a second-rate experience because you're coming at things in a second-rate way. This this It all counts, and that's what's important. Move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and says, I've made a lot of changes in my life. It's everything I've wanted my life to look like, but I'm so stressed all the time that I kind of just want to give up on all of it. How does God want me to handle the stress of a full life? And another really cool question, and Lee, where do we kick off? I do love this question. I, I think that there's a uh, there's a thing that happens in a, a lot of different uh, you know cultures, capitalist cultures, American culture, uh, church culture, and um, and we want to, first of all, we're going to look at it, but first of all, we want to celebrate that you're making changes in your life that you're proud of. That's a, that's a really cool thing. It's a really positive thing. Um, and we celebrate that with you. Um, but an important part of, of creating the kind of life that you're aiming for and being proud of it and all that kind of stuff is also making sure that it's a life that you actually want to live. I mean, right now you're talking about like, Hey, this is, it's kind of killing me and the, and it's 
really stressful. I, I, I accomplished some things I wanted to, but it's kind of killing me. Okay, so that brings us to an aspect of culture. Uh, uh, there's some of this in church culture. There's some of this kind of in American culture or, or Western capitalist culture and stuff like that, which is just um, that we do not value a balanced life as much as we should. And what we want to look for is you you need to have some rest and play in your week. Um, I, I love to use a word that, that I've heard Glenn use a lot. And it's a word that, it's a word that people like pastors don't say it enough. Businessmen don't say it enough, which is the word loaf (laughs) that I, here's what I want to do. I want to have a day off. And what are you going to do on your day off? I'm going to loaf. I'm not going to do anything. Um, and I'm I'm going to prop my feet up. If I feel like making some bacon, that's I'm gonna make that. If I feel like playing some video games, I'm gonna play those. And then if I feel like taking a nap, then I'm also gonna take a nap. And the thing that I would add, like, look at you, you're you're doing some things and accomplishing some some goals, and that all feels really positive. But you're also you've also got a lot of stress. And so what we need to do is to look for the balance. What's odd is a, a balanced life is actually going to have some boredom in it, and we need to like not only look for that but embrace it. Like embrace some times where you're just bored, uh, where you just got some loafing, where you're just chilling, um, and where you're playing games, where you're just hanging out. We need to make sure that your life has that balance in it. Yes, you're making positive changes, super du- super duper cool, but also. It needs to be an enjoyable deal. Um, there is, and like part of this is, I want you to resist. I want you to get to the place where you're finding those spaces in your week, but I want you to resist the urge to tell the story of how busy your week was in a way that has you justifying your existence. Like the way that I know that I'm worthy, or the way that I know that I matter is that everybody sees me as being really super duper busy. Um, we don't want to justify existence by creating this, this, uh, this view of us that we're just super busy. Take a nap and let it be known that you took a nap. Um, and, and let it be a part of your regular week. Let, let balance and play and boredom and loafing be a part of this Bring that, fold that into these changes so that you can actually enjoy the cool changes that you're making. Your life is moving in a good direction. That's awesome. We want to make sure that we can enjoy it with a lot of balance. Another really, really good place to take that. And Glenn, where would we pick things up there? Uh, It turns out that happy stress is a thing as well. You know, having things be better is also on a biological level you know, having a lot of crazy excitement and having a lot of stress kind of feels pretty similar. Uh, So you can sort of wear yourself out on that, which takes us back to the rest stuff that Lee was talking about. Uh, I think the pressure to keep things going uh, once you are successful at something is very huge. If I could give a brief example uh, in in my life, uh, you know, the work that we do right now, uh, when I first started in in ministry, I was told, you know, you you there is no entity in the world that does prison ministry and then street follow up. Just no one has figured out how to do it. It's not a doable thing. Everyone says they're going to do it, and then they fail, and then they get humiliated, and they have to admit that they weren't pulling it off. It's a it's a it's a pipe dream. Don't go down that road. And uh, so I said, well, I think I'll go down that road and uh, met with, you know, massive problems and struggles and semi-success and semi-failure for many, many years. Eventually we were able to get that done. And I, I felt the incredible joy of being able to do that. Uh, so that takes us to this idea of godliness with uh, contentment is great gain. That's First uh, Timothy uh, six six. It's a great verse. Uh, I use it a lot. Um, it's important when you look at that word. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, 
when when it when it's talking about great gain, that's a uh, is a the Greek word for that is charismos, and it means um, to uh, to to literally do exactly what you're trying to do, which is to get ahead, uh, to be successful, to succeed at the thing that you're that you're trying to do. In that same verse, um, uh, where, where it talks about the um, uh, the contentment, that's autarkia. I think that's pretty close to the right uh, uh, pronunciation of that. Um, but it means th- th- this idea of being fully, uh, f- feeling full and sufficient in and of yourself. That you, in the life that you have, you are you you feel full, and that everything is in its place, and what have you. That the idea of living a godly life is great, but the contentment is what we're trying to get to. That sense of being fulfilled, mm. and uh, recognizing that that's getting us to this place of great gain. That's getting us to a biblical and a godly definition of what it means to be successful. That is all excellent, excellent stuff there. And Jed, where do we close this out? Well, again, we really appreciate you writing in. And um, I don't know that the following is what you're doing with, but you say that you've made a lot of changes and it's good stuff and it's working but it's leaving you with a ton of stress. And, you know, for my friends who have had that story where life was pretty rough, then I made a lot of changes. Now life's pretty good, but I have almost no peace about it. The thing that tends to be true for them, and maybe it's true for you, is that there's a ton of fear. And I want to encourage you to dig deeper on the things that you are afraid of. Um, Are you afraid that you're going to screw all this up as an example? that you've made all this progress and you've, you've grown in all these key ways, but you're going to screw it up and ruin it. Or are you afraid that it's whether you screw it up or not, it's all just going to go away, that it's not, this is not your real life. Yeah. It looks okay for the moment, but eventually uh, the other shoe will drop and it's all going to go back to the, the crappy existence that you used to have. Along the similar lines, or you may be afraid that you don't deserve it. Uh, that's actually not like a right thing for you to have it because, you know, maybe you've got problems and you've got issues and it's, you know, it's not really for you. If you can dig it again, I don't know that you're afraid of any of those things, but I've known a lot of people who've had the experience that you're describing in terms of my life was pretty, pretty messed up. And then I made some, some difficult changes to get to a much better place and, I really don't have a lot of peace. And those tend to be three of, of the big, big fears that are pretty darn common when, when people are in the situation that you're describing. And to the extent that you're dealing with fear, I want to encourage you to find what you're afraid of and absolutely insist on dragging it out into the light. One of the, I've, I've known Matt King a long time and I've heard him say many wise things, but one of the wisest things I've heard Matt say is the idea that all fear is fear of the dark. Yep. I think that when we're afraid of anything, the thing that we're most afraid of are the unknown qualities about it. And we can do something about that. So if, for example, if you're afraid that you're going to screw it all up, that fear makes sense, whether it's realistic or not. The, the idea of I work super hard to make positive changes, and what if I pull, what if I'm just a couple knuckleheaded moves away from setting it all on fire and it all just goes away? That, it makes sense to be concerned about that. Again, whether it's a realistic fear or not, it, it definitely makes sense. And if we want to have more peace, then we actually need to dig into that. We need to not face that fear in whatever, you know, broy way where, you know, I, I say, well, ah, it's stupid. I'm not going to feel that way anymore, but we need to face that fear in terms of a acknowledging that it's in our brains and, and in our emotions, and then actually looking at it and saying, is this realistic? And, and to the extent that it's not realistic, why, why does it get so much emotional purchase 
in my brain and in my in my heart? Why does it feel so real to me? Are there alternate ways that I could look at the parts of it that may be valid? Are there strategies that I can work that help to lower the the risk factors? All of this is good stuff, and it's a big part in a practical sense of getting to a place where you have more peace. God absolutely wants to give you the courage that you need to face your fears, and he absolutely wants to give you the peace that you need for your life. And part of the way he wants to help is he wants to walk through this process with you, where you figure out what it is you're afraid of, and you drag it out into the light, and you're able to talk about it. And what you may find is that a counselor is a great person to have some of these conversations with. That's actually a big part of why counselors and counseling exist. And if you're in a place where you've made a lot of changes, but you feel really unsettled and you feel really not at peace, and maybe some of that's being driven by some fears about yourself and your place in the world, I think talking to a counselor could be a really great idea. Talking to a therapist could be a really great idea. That's a good thing, man. And if you're not sure where to start on that journey, if you're not sure how to find that person, if you're not sure if you could afford that person, reach out to us. We'd love to help you to find someone that is a good fit for you and a good fit for your situation. No matter what, let's figure out, let's dig deeper. Let's figure out what it is that we're afraid of. Let's figure out how to drag those fears out into the light. Start getting some some context, start getting some uh, some peace going. And I think that you're probably closer to feeling better than you might imagine. We believe in you. All great stuff from all of these guys, and I would echo every single thing you heard there. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says, what was the deal with the Sabbath in Jesus's time? There are a bunch of times where the leaders get mad at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. I know it's a commandment, but it seems like it was a much bigger deal than why is that? And another really cool question, and Glenn, where would we start off? Well, it's legalism. Uh, it's not uh, difficult to um, diagnose. That's what legalism is. It's a, a way of condemning people and controlling people and elevating yourself yeah. by contrast. It's only the kind of stuff that insecure people do. It's, it's uh, people who uh, feel weak in their own faith do. They, they create a system of religion and then say, I, you know, they, they tell others I am doing it and you are not. So I'm cool. And you're not, uh, I'm holy and you're not holy because I'm wearing this outfit or this hat, or I'm, you know, reading this translation or whatever it is. You just made that up, dude. And now because we're not on what you're on, uh, we aren't valid. We aren't, you know, a, a, a real Christian or whatever have you. Now, of course, the way that one wants to make that work is to take a, um, a, a verse of the Bible, a, a little literal piece of Scripture, out of context in order to do that. If I take it out of its context, then I can make it mean what I want it to mean, and, and it's okay there. Super important for you to understand, and, and maybe you do understand this, and and it's it's the, the people in Scripture that that don't understand it, and that's what's confusing you. But the the most important thing for you to understand is the New Testament is not a list of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. It's not a list of sins. It's not a list of things that are wrong. As if every all of behavior can be categorized as either sinful or righteous. But of course, life in no way works that way. Uh, you can you can do you could be perfectly selfish and not helping your neighbor and sit at home and read your Bible and call that holy when the Lord's calling you to help your neighbor. You know you're you're being there's no holiness whatsoever, but you've declared yourself holy because the Bible you're using it like some sort of trump card that means I you know you, you can't put anything on me that sort of thing. That's what legalism is. That's how it works. Here's another thing, and this is really super important for you to understand about any kind of religious community. We happen to be talking about the unique uh, place that Judaism was in at the time. 
but uh, this would apply to Christianity today, and it would reply, uh, apply, I assume, to lots of other religious communities. Uh, but within any kind of religious community, competition is real. It happens. It's a thing. It doesn't matter that we're all supposed to be pretending to be too far above that and whatever else. Uh, jealousy is real in mm. religious communities. I mean, it is there ubiquitously. It is there continuously. It is there everywhere. That's because people are human, and human beings get insecure. They get jealous. Somebody else comes along who can preach better and do better and uh, minister better, and you either humble yourself and say, how can I support this person? Or you say, what's the deal with this guy? There's got to be something wrong with him. Those are the choices. Um, I've, I have I was a, a few years ago, I was talking to a young man, um, one of the best preachers, uh, best young preachers I've ever heard. I mean, the sharpest guy in the world, um, happened to take a job at a campus of a mega church and a dysfunctional one. Um, you, you wouldn't have heard of this particular mega church probably, but they're, they're well known in, in the Chicago area. And, um, And they basically were getting ready to run him out, and he was trying to decide what his next move was. And he said, you know, all they ever gave me was criticism. And I said, okay, well, that's I get that. But what did the people say? He said, well, the people come up and tell me it was great, like they were shocked that it could be like that. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, so you worked it out, right? He's like, no, I can't figure it out. I mean, why wouldn't they be happy that I preached good in this this place? I'm like, dude, you're making them look bad. Nobody's ever going to thank you for making them look bad. They're trying to get rid of you because nobody wants to hear them preach if you're in the room. And this is is how reality works. It's ugly. It's unpleasant. It's human. Uh, uh, These are uh, flawed people in in these communities. It takes a lot of humility to let somebody else shine and and be on the be the cool mm-hmm. one in the room and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Jesus encountered that in his life, but I'm telling you all this because you will as well. If you're growing in your faith, you will get to a place where you experience jealousy, and it will seem so weird and so bizarre uh, that it, it'll be hard for you to see that's what's going on. But it's it's there. Uh, there's always somebody saying, you have to go through me, you have to answer to me, I am in charge, I am the bona fide one, you are not. And uh, Jesus encountered that, you will too, and it's about recognizing that God does not intend for us to be bound by that uh, or to live according to that legalism. It's a good place to start things off, and and Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because as as Glenn rightly points out, a lot of legalism uh, stems from and is uh, delivered through the lens of individual people and their individual kind of hangups and issues. But there's also something structural going on here. It was the same group of people who used the Sabbath in the same way in different towns and different areas. And I think there's something to that when we look at what legalism is and how it works, right? No, I think that's definitely true. I think that um, it it the following things definitely apply to the disagreements that Jesus had with the religious teachers of the time about the Sabbath. But for for you and I and the world we inhabit today, one of the questions that is constantly before us is, who do we love more? Do we love God more or do we love our rules more? Do we love people more or do we love our systems and our structures more? This is a question that's kind of before us all the time, and it's one of those questions where it kind of sounds like, well, I mean, I can suss out the right answer. Obviously, I'm supposed to love God more, and I'm supposed to love people more, which, yeah, you you, you are supposed to do that. But there's a huge difference between kind of having a sense of what the right words would be to say and actually living that out. If you look at the lived um, reality a heck of a lot of churches, at least in the United States, massively value their system and their structure over individual human beings, like massively, massively, massively. 
Um, and similarly, I think there is much of Christian culture in, uh, at least in the United States, that if you look at just the way decisions get made, they massively value rules and strictures over the heart of God. Um, and it's, it's not close. Like it is, it is not a, a, uh, you know, a thing where they're neck and neck. The, the, the rules are way more important to people than what God's heart and God's character might be. Um, and that's really, uh, when we look at, again, these disagreements that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his time, in many ways, that's kind of what that came down to is what are we going to prioritize? I mean, like no one was anti-healing as a general thing. I mean, the, the religious leaders were not making the argument, no, sick people should be sick forever. They weren't making that argument. They were just arguing, oh, certain things, you know, uh, are perhaps a bit more important than that. Certain things have to be a higher consideration. That certain things have to come first. And I think the funny thing about legalism is from a certain standpoint, it's the most reasonable thing in the world. And I think that one of the key takeaways for all of us are to, to be asking ourselves, what are the areas where I feel perfectly reasonable in my lack of mercy? What are the areas where I feel perfectly reasonable in my lack of grace? Because that's what was kind of going on here, and that's almost always what's going on. I'm a preacher's kid, which means that I grew up watching how church people actually are, like when no one's, you know, uh, realizes that they're being watched. And I've seen people make some incredibly cruel decisions um, in the way that they run churches and church related stuff. I mean, like, really, like, evil, evil. But I think most of the time, to most of the people involved in those decisions, it was the reasonable, practical, expedient decision that they were making. Mm. And the thing that's really important to know if you want to follow Jesus is love is never reasonable. Love yeah. is never practical. Love uh, is no. never expedient. Love is a huge pain in the butt, dude. Mm -hmm. Love like it's the most beautiful thing in the world, but love is the least convenient thing that has ever existed. Love is not accommodating to you as a person who is loving others. Love is not uh, easy. It's not convenient. It is messy. And so if we're looking for a world that is decent and in order, the most decent and in order world we can find is with is one with no love in it at all. It's one with, functionally speaking, no mercy and no kindness and no consideration and no accommodation because all of those things make a huge mess and they are a pain and they are inconvenient. And so when we're looking at how do we be you know, decent and in order and reasonable and efficient, we choose those things over love. And and so again, I wow. think that's that's the takeaway is all of us have areas where we are tempted to choose expediency over love, where we mm. are tempted to choose um, do, pr propriety over mercy. And I think that in many ways is the point that Jesus want, was making then and is making today is moment by moment, choose love. Choose love even when it turns conventions on their mm. ear. Choose love even when it's inconvenient. Choose love even when some people won't like the way that you chose love. Choose love and keep choosing love because that is the heart of Jesus. Absolutely right. That's really, really beautifully put. And Lee, I'd love you to, to close us out here because I think exactly as these guys are pointing to, um, a lot of what we see going on and the reason the Sabbath became a big uh, point of tension in the Gospels between Jesus and the religious leadership is because they had uh, different interpretations of what that was supposed to be. And uh, obviously the the people who weren't yeah. Jesus were the ones who were uh, kind of twisting that to be what they wanted it to be. But I think we may do well to go back a step and look at what a proper interpretation of the Sabbath is, because Jesus didn't reject the idea. He just didn't uh, fall in the line with the way the religious leaders uh, dealt with it. So what what is the Sabbath when we look back through the, through the Old Testament and the way Jesus talked about it? What's it actually mm. for, and what maybe were people missing? This That's a really, really cool uh, setup, because I think that 
and I love where these guys have taken it, but I think a huge thing for us to understand in, in trying to figure this out is, or a good question for us to ask is, what kind of a guy is God? What's he like? Um, is, is God the kind of guy who he makes a rule and then he just watches everybody with a microscope to see when everybody's going to put their foot out of line, you know, and then, and then he's going to be super upset and then you're in big trouble kind of thing. Or is it something else? So exactly as you're saying, Matt, the, the actual, like, you know, I grew up hearing like, well, Sabbath is, it's the day of rest. So Sabbath is a word that means rest. Well, actually, when you look it up, Sabbath is a word that means stop. And what God's original idea for people was, you're going to go into this, he was taking his people into this land that they'd never been to before. And, um, and his people had wandered around in literally in the desert for 40 years, and he had provided food for them every day. An entire generation of people died off. An entire new generation of people had only lived in the desert where God provided their food for them every single morning. And he's saying, you're about to go into a land and you're going to learn, you're going to have to relearn agriculture. You haven't done any of it ever in your life. You're going to start, you're going to work hard. It's going to be difficult. And then every, and every, like when the sun goes down on Friday until the sun goes down on Saturday, I just want you to stop. I just want you to stop. And that's not because I'm setting a rule and I'm going to watch you to see if you step a toe out of line. Here's what, here's why I'm saying stop. I'm saying stop. Because I want you to chill, enjoy your friends and your family, and I want you to know that I am the kind of guy who wants you to kick back and take it easy. It's interesting. We talked about the balance piece uh, in the last question, and this is God's heart for people was, I just want you to stop. I want you to lay everything down and stop so that you can relax, take a beat, and know that that's the kind of guy I am, is I want you to chill. I want you to stop working hard and relax. Um, he actually, like, there was this weird thing with the, the, the food that God, like the miracle food that God provided for them in the desert. He said, every single day you go collect what your family needs. Don't collect more than you need because it'll go bad. It, it, you can't keep it more than one day. The only exception to that, miraculously, was... On Friday, you could collect all you would need for two days, and it would not go bad on Saturday. God just said, I'm mirac- for the next 40 years, I'm going to miraculously, every time it's the stop day, I'm going to make it last because I just want you to relax. This was not God um, uh, trying to catch anybody out of line. He literally was just wanting them to chill. And Jesus points to this when he gets in trouble for healing somebody on the Sabbath. This is from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2, Jesus tells them, um, he says, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, this gets to the very heart of the thing, exactly as Matt's saying, like, what's the definite, what was God's idea behind the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a gift to people, not a chance for people to get in trouble and for people to get, uh, to compete, like Glenn was talking about, for people to rise above, for people to act like jerks, like like Jeb was talking about. The Sabbath, from God's perspective, was it was just a gift. And that's what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for people, not people made for the Sabbath. The legalism idea is people exist to follow rules, and that's how we measure who's the best, and that's how we measure who's in trouble. But what Jesus said was, no, no, no. This thing that God gave was a gift, and it was designed for you to relax. It was designed for you to enjoy your life. It was designed for you to recuperate, recharge your batteries, and get ready for another hard week where you were going to be farming and working or whatever you were going to be doing. Um, it's just a gift to you. Um, a quick story. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, so Christy and I, our, our oldest daughter is uh, did a program over the summer where she basically got to go to a university and kind of live a college experience for a month, take some special classes and live this experience. And, you know, we, one of the conversations that we had, as soon as I picked her up from this experience, we're driving home and I was like, Hey, what was it like, like living in the dorm and, you know, you're getting to make your own decisions and all that kind of stuff. And she said the funniest thing to me. She said, when, when you guys drop me off, 
She said, I thought the thing I was going to be the most excited about was this one rule that I'm not allowed to do when I'm living in your house. I'm just going to do whatever I want with this one deal. And she said, and I did it for like two days. And then I realized, actually, y'all's rule was like, it was just really something that helped me a lot. And so I just went back to doing it your way. <laughs> and it was so great because we we did, when she was gone, we were like, yeah, you you get to figure this out. But she realized on her own that actually the thing that we had put in place was something that was a gift to her, to care for her, for her rejuvenation, for her peace of mind. That's what the Sabbath was about. That's what actually what all of God's things are about. You've heard Jed or Glenn say at one time or another on the show that when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When God gives you something, it's for you. It's not, it's not something for people to compare each other, to get in trouble about, because God is not micromanaging, looking at your life, just waiting for you to screw up. God wants to set things in motion for your peace, for your fulfillment, for what, the, what Jesus called an abundant life. That was the heart behind the Sabbath. That is all fantastic stuff from all three of these guys on a really, really wonderful question. It does get to the heart of some really, really interesting things. And the way that something as as beautiful and as rejuvenative and as peaceful as Lee was ex- very well explaining the Sabbath there uh, can be turned into something to uh, judge and divide. And that, that really is at the heart of legalism because you're taking something that is um, mysterious and confusing and you'll never truly understand the fullness of, and you're trying to uh, kind of boil that down into something you can use as a cudgel. And beside just the inherent uh, meanness and unpleasantness of it, it also really, really diminishes uh, this amazing thing and these amazing things about, about grace, about the Sabbath and about all the aspects of God, which are inherently something beyond our understanding. His his patience and his grace and his desire for us to rest are are really more than we could ever understand. So to boil that down to uh don't do this on this day or as you know we kind of done it in American Christian's point, go to this building for a couple of hours this day if you're not working. Otherwise it's fine. But just definitely judge the people who don't do that is <laughs> is kind of uh Missing the point in a way that makes everything worse in every possible direction. All right. If you have a question for us at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. If you want to keep that totally anonymous, don't forget you can join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time for the Bridgecast and catch that whenever you want at the videos tab at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. And check out the song this week. Lee mentioned during our first question about uh, prayer and communication about God just wanting to keep you on the line, and that transitions easily into Lee's own version of Jesus on the main line. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To see that Brock's Candy Corn podcast, Brock's Candy Corn, it makes your brain sizzle. The tingling sensation lets you know it's working. <laughs> Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you Jesus is on the main
Kisses on that main line Tell him what you want Jesus is on that main line Just tell him what you want I said Jesus is on the main line Tell him what you want Call him up and tell him what 